he was called the horse the Germans couldn't kill. Warrior was a charger in the British cavalry who served on the front line of World War I for the entire duration of the war, surviving many close calls. His story resonates as that of a true warhorse, a survivor, a friend, and to truly live up to his name, a warrior through and through. Welcome back to Horses in History. I'm Brandy, an equestrian, history lover, host of this podcast, and slowly going stir-crazy inside my house after five straight weeks of quarantine. I hope that this episode finds all listeners safe and healthy in our current pandemic. I'm sure there are many of us horse owners who are missing our beloved equines right now, as the stay-at-home orders nationwide keep many of us from the barn. This morning, my dad sent me a picture of my beloved gelding Charlie, who is living at home on the family farm, and it was so good to see his happy little face. Even though I can't go ride him right now, at least I know he is cared for, healthy, and happy, and eventually this will end and I'll be able to be back in the barn. And imagine just how sweet those first steps back in the barn are going to be, and how incredible that first ride is going to feel after this time away. Today's episode takes place in another turbulent moment in history. World War I often called the Great War, was devastating to the entire world, and it took a particular toll on the horse population. There's going to be a future episode on the larger experience of horses in World War I, but today's episode, I'm just going to narrow the focus down to one truly great equine. The story of Warrior is more than just a story of a horse. It's the story of an accomplished horseman, Jack Seeley, and his bond with a faithful equine for over 30 years. They endured all levels of danger and destruction in war, and then were able to enjoy years of peace together as well. This is a story all horse people can relate to. Many of us have been blessed to encounter that most sacred of bonds formed between certain horses and humans, a bond which can create the greatest of moments, absolutely fantastic feats, and a deep and unyielding pain when it comes time to say goodbye to those great horses. Jack Seeley and Warrior had one of those bonds, so much so that Seeley wrote an entire book dedicated to his courageous equine. It's from that book where I'm drawing most of the information for this episode. There's no better source than the words of someone who was actually there and actually lived the history, and in this particular case, rode the horse in which we are going to talk about. So without further ado, let's dive into the incredible story of Warrior. Warrior was born in 1909 on the Isle of Wight, which is the second most populous island in England and is located in the English Channel off the coast of Hampshire. Warrior was born to a mare owned by Jack Seeley, and Jack Seeley would later become the famous owner and rider of Warrior. His mother was a thoroughbred mare named Cinderella. Seeley had fallen in love with this black mare while serving in South Africa during the Bower War. He saw a man galloping on a dark horse across the landscape in August 1902 and decided that he just had to have the horse. He purchased her for 70 pounds and she became his charger for the duration of the war. In Seeley's own words, she was a sweet and gentle mare, more dog than horse. She was good and true as a war horse, but when he brought her back to the Isle of Wight, she spent the rest of her life there more as a companion than a war horse. She was totally devoted to her master. She was friends with his gray Arabian Mahaja and cared for impeccably for her entire life. She allowed his children to climb over her head and slide down her tail, a true testament to her kind and gentle nature. She was a devoted mother to her foals and became inconsolable after they were weaned for a month or two. 
It seems that Cinderella was nearly as beloved by Seeley as Warrior himself, as almost an entire chapter in his book are devoted to this lovely sounding mare. Cinderella ended up dying herself in 1916 while Seeley was home visiting from World War I. Now an old mare, Seely says in his book that he truly believed she waited to see her master one last time before passing on. Warrior's father was a thoroughbred named Straybit, a bright chestnut known for his speed and swiftness. He was also known for having an exceptionally kind nature for a stallion. In 1909, he won the lightweight race on the Isle of Wight point to point, a feat that would be completed by his son, Warrior, in 1922 as well. Straybit ended up being sold to the Austrian government in 1909 following that race, and it's unknown how many of his progeny would have actually served in World War I as mounts for the German forces, which were largely provided by Austria. This was a fact that Seeley found very fascinating to think that Warrior could have been serving on the opposite side of some of his siblings. The way Seeley describes them, both mother and father of Warrior were truly great horses with exceptional personalities as their hallmark, given what he describes in the book. And Warrior is a full-blooded thoroughbred, given that both his parents were also thoroughbreds. When Warrior was born, Seeley was actually in London, serving as the Undersecretary of State, but he received a telegram that Cinderella had foaled in the words of his stable helper, young Jim, a fine child, and that both were doing well. So I think this is a good time to pause and talk about Jack Seeley for a little bit. Obviously, this podcast is going to focus on Warrior, the horse, but Warrior was owned and spent his entire life with Jack Seeley, so I think it's important that we touch on him and his life as well. So by the time Seeley wrote the book My Horse Warrior in 1934, he had basically lived what seems like five different lives and gone through every measure of adventure a person could possibly do. And he did write books to commemorate most of his exploits, and you can read those as well, though I would suggest mostly the book about Warrior because obviously it's about horses, or about one horse in particular. He was born in 1868 and became a very brave man. He was born into a life of privilege. He was a part of more of the elite of society, but he also served greatly. He would eventually become an MP. He sat on the cabinet alongside his very good friend Winston Churchill, and he also did serve in two different wars, the Bauer War and World War I. Jack Seeley was an exceptional horseman for his entire life. I discussed briefly his mare, Cinderella, who was Warrior's mom. He also had several Arabs throughout his life, and then his exceptional bond with Warrior. And he was known for being a very good rider, very good with horses, and if you read his book, his absolute love is very clear. He later became Minister of War before serving in World War I himself. He died in 1947, just six years after his beloved horse warrior had passed. He was really an incredible man and a very interesting member of British history, and I really enjoyed learning about him. I thought it was funny that his well-known nickname is Galloping Jack, basically for his his ability as a horseman. So, we're going to go back to Warrior now, but now you know more about the man who Warrior spent his life beside. So after weaning, Cinderella once again became Seely's charger until her son could eventually take over the duty. Warrior grew up on the Isle of Wight, taking the same position as his mother and became very fond of Seely. From an early age, he was known to be very independent, though. 
Celie describes the difference between mother and son as being Cinderella was utterly devoted to her master and completely, just completely devoted to him. And Warrior was devoted, but he was still going to be independent at all times. So he definitely had an independent streak and it sounds like a mind of his own, but he was, he was very fond of his owner and did like people. It wasn't like he was a mean horse by any means. Later on, when it was time for Warrior to be broke to ride, he accomplished a feat that most other horses could not. He bucked off the local horse trainer, Young Jim. This didn't just happen once. It happened often over those early months of training, which was very rare for Young Jim to be dismounted from a horse. He did eventually learn to be a good riding horse and tolerated it. You know, many horses are very, very hard to break out, but will eventually become exceptionally good riding horses. So it sounds like Warrior was just a tough nut to crack in the beginning, but then he became pretty great. When Seely first rode the horse during his two-year-old year, he got bucked off four times in a row. And Seely recounts in his book that the fourth time, he sat under an ash tree, held the horse, and begged him not to buck him off anymore so they could be friends for the rest of his life. Though the horse didn't understand his words, something clicked between horse and rider that day, and for the remainder of their time together, they were strong comrades, and Warrior became his faithful friend. He never failed him, he never feared, whether it was on a battlefield of death and destruction, or just on the fields of their Isle of Wight. Seely eventually decided to train Warrior as a charger instead of a racehorse. He had glimpsed the courage of this horse when he rode him into the sea for the first time, most horses, when you ask them to ride into waves, will kind of back off a little bit and not want to just charge right in. Yeah, well, Warrior Warrior wanted to charge right in. So it was here where Seely kind of recognized that this horse was probably going to be a little more fearless than most. He was busy with work as the war minister in London, so Warrior spent the next years in training with young Jim on the Isle of Wight. He was taught to hack across the landscape stand still while mounted and tied, walk, trot, canter. He was taught to jump and said to be absolutely fearless while jumping. He would just jump over anything. They did decide to train him as a charger instead of a racehorse, much to young Jim's disappointment because he thought that he was going to be an exceptional racehorse and was one of the fastest horses on the island. In early 1914, Warrior was moved to Burley on the Hill to be trained by the local riding master there, Major Hall. Hall recalled when asked for the book by Seely that Warrior was Bayer Brown, about 15 two hands tall, and had a deep heart girth. He was trained to withstand the sound of rifle fire, gruesome sights, and some special maneuvers. Hall recalled that the horse was exceptionally intelligent and very courageous, and that he actually grew very attached to him while the horse was in his training. It was also said that Warrior was almost never sick nor lame during his time of training, which is pretty unusual for a horse, especially when they are learning some pretty hard maneuvers. Most horses are fragile and do go lame occasionally and have some sicknesses, but apparently Warrior was pretty strong. 1914 brought the beginning of World War I, and Seely joined up taking his horse Warrior with him. Throughout the duration of the war, he would be cared for by not only Seely, but also Freddie Guest whenever Seely was absent. And Seely credits Guest in the book for keeping Warrior alive when other horses were starving to death on the front line, and it seems that he was a very important character in the life of Warrior. So before we dive into Warrior's 
life during World War One. I. I do want to just kind of give a little brief overview of World War One. Most people know about it, but some people aren't history buffs like me, so I just want to make sure you have some context. So from 1914 to 1918, there was the truly global conflict of World War One. It was fought in Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. Around 17 million soldiers and civilians were killed between 1914 and 1918 as a part of this war. Britain joined the war effort on August 4th, 1914, declaring war on Germany. Obviously, Seely and Warrior both hail from Britain, so we'll focus on their experience. On the Western Front, opposing armies were trapped in a stalemate for years of the war. This is where you get the trenches and no man's land and all of the lore that surrounds World War One. Many lives were lost fighting over just a few miles of land, unfortunately. The Battle of the Somme, of which Warrior does play a part, was one of the largest of World War I, and nearly 20,000 British soldiers died just on the first day alone. World War I was absolutely devastating to the entire world, but it also brought forth great advancements in medicine and technology. For example, the invention of plastic surgery, innovations in flight, and new treatments for mental health to combat the shell shock that so many soldiers came home with. So... There's just a little backstory on World War I. Obviously, I'm going to focus just on the part that Warrior and Seely played a part in. And if you want to learn more about World War I, there is so much information available on it. And it is absolutely fascinating. But back to Warrior and Seely. Winter of 1914, Warrior and Seely arrived in northern France by boat. They were met by cheers from the locals because they assumed that the British were going to swiftly end the war by joining. Unfortunately, that was not the case. In those early days, Warrior was primarily ridden by Freddie Guest because Seely was busy administrating and wasn't really on the field. Right at the beginning, he had a near-death experience. Seely was riding away from a town that he had just spoken with the mayor when some stables burst into flames and there was shell fire for the first time. As he rode him away, the horse was obviously scared. Seely recounts that he could feel him shaking beneath him, but he didn't run. He didn't panic. Though he was scared, the horse was courageous throughout, and it was then that Seely realized that the horse had a natural aptitude for the chaos of war. Over time, Warrior became accustomed to the sights and sounds of war and became a very steadfast and reliable mount. Seely recounts in his book that he and Warrior would race planes in the sky for fun, the roar of the plane engine didn't bother Warrior at all, which is surprising because normally horses don't like loud sounds. And also Seely says that he was unbothered by the smell of blood, white light of bursting shells, the deafening sound of constant gunfire, nor the constant movement of the cavalry. This became the reality for Warrior and Seely for the next four years, and apparently Warrior adapted to it very, very well. Seely said that he thought Warrior probably saw wartime as just a curious game that he had to figure out a way to win. Eventually, in 1915, Seely was put in charge of the Canadian Cavalry, and that's where he would remain as general for the remainder of the war. I'll talk a little more about Warrior's role with the Canadian Cavalry after we take a short little break. Welcome back. So, we're talking about General Seely, who has just been put in charge of the Canadian Cavalry, and his horse Warrior. So the Canadian Cavalry just adopted Warrior as their mascot right from the start. 
They were super impressed with the horse as he was just so reliable and he was also just an impressive animal. So many of the people described him in memories in this book as just being a horse that attracted attention wherever he goes. My guess is that he had to be very beautiful and just a really incredible animal. Seely directly credits Warrior and the love the men held for the horse as being the reason he could inspire affection and loyalty within his troops. He didn't think that he was a great man and that's why the men followed him. He thought that they followed him because they just loved his horse. Which may or may not be true, but I think that General Seely was also probably pretty incredible and pretty beloved by his troops all on his own as well. Around this time was the first time that Warrior had been in an environment where he was surrounded by other war horses. Prior to this, he had been Seely's personal mount and been surrounded mostly by other people, not necessarily other cavalry horses. So once they became a part of the Canadian cavalry, he was surrounded by thousands of other horses doing the exact same thing. However, he always stood out. It was around this time that Warrior developed an interesting habit of following Seely absolutely everywhere he went like a dog. He would have no halter, no bridle, no saddle, and he would just follow his owner around wherever he went. Even when he rode other horses, Warrior would come running up along beside him and follow him around. So he clearly had a deep, deep affection for his owner and did really love him and apparently followed him everywhere like a dog, which might be kind of dangerous in war, but Warrior was pretty lucky and never got injured. Well, not seriously, at least. In 1916, Seely and Warrior were a part of one of the biggest collections of horses and riders on a battlefield in World War I, the Battle of the Somme. This is a legendary battle during World War I. It was extremely devastating, and Warrior and Seely were right there for it. However, despite sitting ready for battle for days on end, they never actually were sent into the battle. So the cavalry was there, ready to go, ready to fight. Seely recounts that Warrior was just chomping at the bit, ready to go, but they never actually deployed the cavalry because the, the battle had become so devastating just on the infantry troops alone that they didn't want to send the cavalry in. So though they stood ready to go at the Battle of the Somme, they did not actually participate. Right after the Battle of the Somme that Warrior had a near-death experience, Seely was called into his stable late at night because it appeared that the horse was colicking. It was later found by one of the battlefield veterinarians that instead he'd actually ingested a piece of metal that somehow must have been in the hay, and it had gotten lodged in his digestive system and caused him great pain. Warrior was able to pass the piece of metal and he survived this ordeal, but the same hay had had multiple pieces of metal in it, and other horses who ate from the same bale had died from this piece of metal in their digestive system. Those of us who know horses know just how, how fragile their digestive systems are, so this could be truly devastating if you had something as simple as some metal in their food. But thankfully, it did not take down the Great Warrior. The winter of 1916 was excruciatingly cold and brutal, hard on both soldier and horse alike. These horses were exhausted from the work that they did. They were pulling artillery across muddy fields. They were hungry. There was not enough food to go around. They had to be foot sore. They were encountering injuries and bullet wounds. Because of the mud, scratches would run rampant. There would be disease. Horses would colic from the stress. They were moving through deep mud, like I've said. 
it was just a, a horrible time for not only the soldiers, but also for these animals. And the horses were, were literally dying in their harnesses from exhaustion or hunger. They were stuck in the mud and they couldn't get out. It's just, just hard to imagine as a horse lover what these animals must have gone through. There were army vets on the battlefield and they were vitally important to keeping the horses going. There were actually 20 horse hospitals on the line where the veterinarians would even perform surgery on the horses to keep them going. So while I'm talking about the general experience of the horses at this time, know that Warrior was right there beside them and dealing with all of this as well. Thankfully, he was able to come through it pretty unscathed, but it was it would have not been an easy time for for a horse on the front line of, of World War I. Seeley describes in the book a few more of Warrior's near-death experiences. He once got stuck in mud, and a machine gun was firing down upon their position, but somehow they were able to get Warrior unstuck from the mud without a single bullet wound. There was another time that a shell hit near him and absolutely covered him in falling earth from the explosion. They only could find his one leg sticking out, and they quickly began digging him out of there, thinking they were going to find this great horse dead. But Warrior was just fine and stood and walked away from this with just a, sl- a slight limp. So he he had a lot of close calls, but somehow this horse just came through everything, strong as ever. Seeley described the joy that his great horse brought both him and his men during the dark days of that winter. He would just ride the horse around, and the troops would break into cheers, cheering for great old warrior, and he would bring smiles everywhere he went. Just a great morale boost, as were all animals in war. If you look through the stories, there are just just memories upon memories of animals of all kind bringing great joy to men during war. There's a fun memory in the book that is from a friend of General Seeley, Jeffrey Brooke, who is himself an expert horseman and would sometimes ride Warrior. He recalls that Warrior was a horse with a personality one could never forget, and he was also the perfect size and type for a charger, not to mention full of energy and life as he would lead men and equines into battle. There was a quote by Jeffrey that I loved, and I just think it encapsulates this great horse so well. To quote him, unselfish loyalty, indomitable courage, disregard of danger, and a generous nature of always giving his best. Those were the qualities inherent to warrior. To hear something like that just helps you to really understand what kind of horse this was and how beloved he was by those around him during such a dark time. In the winter of 1917, Warrior and Seeley participated in the Battle of Passchendaele. This was a very deadly battle. It was an ill-fated effort by the British Horses could barely move, the mud was so thick, and it was actually up to their bellies. During this time, Seely had another horse shot dead out from under him. Seely said that had he been riding Warrior that day, he surely would have been killed, so his choice to ride a different horse that day saved Warrior's life. The greatest adventure of Warrior and Seely's time in World War I came in March of 1918. Early on in the battle, a stable collapsed on top of Warrior, but he was able to again narrowly escape with no injuries. It seemed the horse was like a cat with six lives. Together with Warrior, Seeley ended up leading a cavalry charge to recapture Moriel Ridge. The horse ran right into shell and rifle fire at top speed, accelerating all the way no matter what was flying at him. 
Seely credits this huge victory completely to his horse and the fearless determination the animal showed on the battlefield, not only to get Seely through the fray safely, but also to lead the other men and other horses courageously into battle. After the battle, Warrior actually ends up injured by simply slipping on some rocky ground. You know, after all the crazy things he's lived through, it's that that injures him enough that he can't be ridden. But again, Seely has to ride another horse into battle. In that battle, there was a huge release of poisonous gas, and the horse would end up dying of gas exposure, and Seely himself was heavily exposed and his lungs were injured. Again, had Seely been riding Warrior, he would have been killed that day. So another near miss. Once recovered, Warrior and Seely both participated in a 60-mile march to another part of the battlefield. But soon after that, Seely had to be taken back to England because the gas exposure to his lungs had caused some pretty severe damage and he was really struggling on the battlefield. Warrior remained on the front until the end of the war, even when Seely wasn't there. The Canadian troops took care of him, just as if he were her, their own, and he safely made it through the rest of the war. When Armistice came in November 1918, an overjoyed Seely arranged for Warrior to return home immediately, and the horse arrived back on the beloved Isle of Wight just before Christmas in 1918, their horrendous ordeal in World War I over and done with, and miraculously, both horse and rider came through it safely. After World War I, Seely and Warrior were pretty much retired from the military life, they did join in victory marches all around England. The famous horse was often met with cheers all around. They returned to the Isle of Wight, and Seely's children took to riding Warrior. Particularly, his daughter Irene really took a liking to the horse. But he occasionally scared her because he would let loose one of his great bursts of thoroughbred speed when she wasn't expecting it and just take off. Young Jim, Warrior's first trainer, still thought that the horse was the fastest on the island, despite all the trials he had endured during war that had no doubt taken a toll on his physical strength. At the prompting of young Jim, Seely decided to retrain the horse for racing, planning to enter him in the Isle's point-to-point race, which his father had won 15 years prior. Unsurprisingly, Warrior took to racing just like he had took to battle. In March 1921, Warrior was ridden by Jack's nephew, Jim Seeley, to come in a close second in the point-to-point race despite a desperate dash at the end. In 1922, young Jim now mounted the great horse, and they won the race easily, four years to the day since Warrior had ridden into battle to save a French town. A truly incredible feat when you figure all that this horse had lived through at that time, and that he was still able to have the physical endurance to be able to win a race against other horses who had probably not come through the war and were probably also younger. In between and after his short racing career, Warrior had pretty much a quiet retirement on the island. Seely and his children rode him occasionally. He would sometimes go out on fox hunts. He was actually known for getting too full of himself out on fox hunts, and even Seely said that he had trouble controlling the horse out on a hunt at upwards of 26 years old. So. He was just a horse with incredible physical endurance and strength. Lameness occasionally bothered Warrior, likely a result of some of the injuries he had suffered on the battlefield and the hard living, but he was generally a pretty sound horse for the rest of his life. 
There's a fun photo that I'll post on my website of Seely and Warrior taking a ride together at a combined age of 100. In the, at the time, Seely was 70 years old and Warrior was 30, both having lived through some pretty incredible times and yet still able to go take a ride and enjoy it together. Warrior spent the rest of his life on the Isle of Wight. He had a quiet retirement, really was taken care of exceptionally by Seely for the entirety of his life, and was beloved by those around him. Uh, Seely describes in his book that the school children would come marvel at the great war horse, and he would kind of trot around the pasture and put on a little show for him, and he was always, always happy to receive a pat from his beloved owner throughout this time. A well-deserved retirement for a truly incredible horse who had lived through some amazing things. But as with every great horse, it eventually comes time to say goodbye. Warrior lived to the great old age of 33 before old age got the best of him and it was time to say goodbye. He passed on just as another great war was beginning in 1941. This would be a war where horses would not feature in the way that they had of Warrior's Day. Seely could not bear to be there on the day that his great horse passed, and he asked for it to be done while he was out of town. There's no grave for Warrior. After all, he passed away during a time of war and materials were scarce, but in recent years they have been able to place a statue on the Isle of Wight to commemorate him and his great feats. So that brings us to the end of the life of this incredible animal. So now we're going to talk about his legacy, which is pretty amazing. Obviously, I've talked a lot about the book that Jack Seeley wrote about Warrior. This was written while he was still alive. So in the book, it's kind of an interesting dynamic as I sit and read it. In 2020, he's talking about the horse as if he's still alive because at the day that he wrote it, the horse was. I do suggest the book. I think it's a really good account and it's just amazing to hear these things written about the horse by someone who was there and his... His love of the animal shines through so, so strong. It is not a great work of literary genius. There's some moments in the book that it's a little hard to get through and it can get a little confusing, but I do think that it tells the story really, really well, and if you're looking for more about this great horse, it's a great resource. There's also a documentary called War Horse, The Real Story that I found on Amazon Prime, free with a Prime membership in the United States. This tells the story of all of the horses in World War I, but it does spend a lot of time focusing on Seely and Warrior as they kind of became the, the poster boys of the horse's experience in World War I. So this is a really good documentary. I highly recommend it. It's only about 45 minutes, so it's not too long. Warrior has kind of remained the epitome of a war horse, particularly in British memory. There's a well-known novel that became a Hollywood movie called War Horse. Most of us probably have seen it. There is some speculation that it's loosely based on the story of Warrior, but that has not been proven, and it's not super obvious when you watch the movie that it could be Warrior. The movie follows the life of one particular war horse throughout all of World War I and beyond. Personally, I find it extremely hard to watch for a couple reasons. First, just the entire experience of horses in World War I is horrifying and heartbreaking, and it's just, even when you know that it's CGI, it's just very, very hard to watch when you love horses in the way that I do. Also, as with every horse movie, there's some parts of it that are just very inaccurate, 
and not, if you're a horse person, just not something that would really happen in real life. But it is, it is a good movie. It brought a lot of attention to the plight of the horses in World War I, and it's probably worth a watch or maybe read the book if you'd rather. A hundred years after his service in World War I, Warrior was rewarded with the Dickin Medal in 2014. The Dickin Medal is given to animals which serve in war and do great things, so Warrior was certainly deserving. He was given this posthumously at a ceremony at the Imperial War Museum in London, and the medal was accepted by horse racing broadcaster and the grandson of Warrior's rider, General Jack Seeley, a man named Burrow Scott. Warrior was the 66th recipient of the medal. The award of the medal to Warrior so long after his death was actually backed by celebrities, including Steven Spielberg, who had directed the film War Horse, which may or may not be based on Warrior. Spielberg has a nice quote about the horse. Warrior is an extraordinary example of the resilience, strength, and profound contribution that horses made to the Great War. Recognizing him with an honorary PDSA Dickin Medal is a fitting and poignant tribute not only to this remarkable animal, but to all animals that served. There is, as I mentioned, a statue of Warrior at Carisbrook Castle on the Isle of Wight. I will post a picture on my website. And that brings us to the end of Warrior's legacy as well. So what do we think about this brave horse who galloped across battlefields in war and across an island in peacetime? I'm not sure they make horses quite like Warrior anymore. However, I think that there will always be horses that are marked with an incredible intelligence and courageousness like Warrior was. Personally, I had a horse when I was younger. Actually, I still have her. I just don't ride her anymore because she is retired. But she had just the most incredible intelligence and was so brave about everything. I never found anything that bothered her. Whatever I asked of her, she did it willingly and jumped in with all four feet. She was always ready for anything. I think that had she been born a hundred years ago, she may have also been an incredible war horse. Obviously, I never asked her of that. She was my pampered show horse, but I can see some similarities between the attributes that Warrior possessed and the ones that my horse possessed, and I can't help but think about how the horses that we own today would have done in a different time. So I challenge you all to think about that a little bit too. You know, what would your horse have done in a war setting? How do you think they would have handled that? I know my current gelding would have just keeled over and died. He is not brave and he is not one to get his feet dirty. So war would not have been his forte, but it was warriors. It can be assured that warrior will never be forgotten. He may be a memory of a different time and place where horses were an integral part of daily life in both war and peace. His story seems nearly impossible. He was a blue-blooded horse from a small island off the coast of England who survived insurmountable odds in the greatest war ever fought at that time. He was a horse who miraculously returned home, relatively unharmed, despite many close calls on the battlefield. A horse who could go from battlefield to racing field and excel at both. A horse who spent all 33 years of his amazing life in the care of the same loving owner and forged a deep and unwavering bond that I think any horse lover can marvel at and be impressed by. What a truly legendary animal. Thank you for listening to the story of Warrior. 
It was really fun to research, as I was not familiar with Warrior prior to starting to look into famous horses for this podcast. I found myself continually amazed by the feats he accomplished and by his ultimate survival where so many other horses perished. If you want more information on Warrior, I'd highly suggest you check out the book by Jack Seeley, the documentary I mentioned, or the website ran by Seeley's grandson, Burrow Scott. I'll link all of those as well as photos on my new website, which you can find at www.horsesinhistorypod.com. If you liked this episode, I would love if you could subscribe or leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Continue to stay safe and healthy during this crazy time. As always, thank you so much for listening to my podcast, and I hope you tune in for our next episode of Horses in History. Horses in History.